Hey, um, yesterday was the 12th day of Christmas, so it's done. We still got some stuff because the season lingers just a little bit. Do you know what today is? It's January 6th. You know what that is? Loudly? Epiphany. Epiphany. Is that, does that sound familiar to some of you at least? Okay. But my guess is it's not profoundly familiar to some of you. Epiphany is on the Christian calendar. The same Christian calendar that has Christmas and Good Friday and Easter and Pentecost has Epiphany. But it's, it's sometimes uh, um, missed. And what Epiphany the day actually focuses on is something we tend to fold up into our telling of the Christmas story, even though there actually is something distinct. Epiphany is the day when, if we were really being formal, we would tell the story of the wise men and their journey to Bethlehem to see the Christ child. Not the Christ baby, probably, but the Christ child. No longer in a manger, in a stable, or a cave, but now in some kind of house in Bethlehem. So we know that some kind of time had passed. And the wise men, we call them wise men, how many were there? Three, trick question, we have no idea. We just know there are three gifts, sorry. Just, just, you never know, right? Uh, it had to be two, at least. There could have been many, but there were three gifts. So the wise men came. They were uh, magi. They were wise men. I like an old James Taylor song where they were called the wise guys. And, uh, and they were traveling and searching because somehow or another, God had spoken into their world and their understanding and said, you need to travel and meet the one I've sent to the world the, the one through whom you will know me. And that's what they came searching. They weren't Jews. They didn't know about Abraham and the promises of God particularly. And yet somehow they headed out to Jerusalem and they got there. King Herod didn't know what to make of him. The, the religious folks um, heard the questions, where's the, the one promised by God to be born? And they, they found it in Bethlehem and they went off to check it out. And nobody else even seemed interested. Really bizarre, except Herod had a different interest. But those wise men traveled in there. They saw Mary and a family, and they encountered the child. And they got down. They, they got down on their knees. And they, in some sense, worshipped him. And they gave him gifts. And what we remember on Epiphany, the, the word Epiphany is about manifestation, that God's glory in Jesus Christ was manifested not just to his own little family and not just to Jews, but to the world. Uh, initially just a couple, but it was a larger world than many people in the Jewish community thought God's promise was for. Remember the promise to Abraham way back, Abraham, I want you to get up and go from where you are, and I am going to make you and your wife into a great family. And your family will become a nation, and that nation will be my nation But that nation will not only be blessed by me for its own good, but that nation will be blessed so that it will be a source of blessing to to the nations of the world, the peoples of the world. And that's something Epiphany reminds us of. And that's something we're reminded of this morning as we open up the pages of the Bible to the book of Acts, where we were a couple weeks ago, a month ago, and we're stepping back in. Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there right now. And if you don't, I'm going to invite you to look at the screen. But I I just wanted to remind you where we are. The um, earliest followers of Jesus have been centered in Jerusalem. 
And they've been um, living together and sharing together and worshiping together and growing together. But they've also been sharing outwardly the news about Jesus and the meaning of Jesus to lots of the Jewish folks around them. And a significant number have responded. A significant number have said yes. So many so that the leaders in the community are worried about it and they keep pressuring these guys to shut up. Keep it to themselves. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about the resurrection. Don't go public with this. Little by little, more and more pressure has been exerted on them. And finally, in Acts chapter 6 and 7, when there's an internal problem in the church between two different um, semi-ethnic groups within the Jewish Christian community, those who spoke Aramaic, they're Hebrew-oriented, and those who spoke Greek, who were Hellenistic-oriented, and their roots were from different places in the Mediterranean world. A leader named Stephen had been appointed. And Stephen not only helped to distribute food and care for the widows in that Hellenistic, Greek-speaking, Jewish, Christian community, but he also was a powerful communicator. And he wanted those who were following Jesus, but those who were interested as well, to know that God's plan and God's purpose and God's work was no longer going to center just in the temple in Jerusalem and what happened there. And he was unfolding the meaning of that and the significance of that, and he didn't even get to finish what he was saying. And people were so upset at what sounded so anti-temple and anti-God to them. And that congregation became a crowd and a mob, and they dragged him out, and they stoned him outside of that gathering place, and they killed him. And Stephen became the first martyr. What for? What good does that do? I mean, I look at Acts 7 sometimes and I think, this is not how to win friends and influence people, Stephen. You're rubbing people the wrong way. You should say nice, calming words and things that just make them feel good and attract them. But you were just shooting straight at them. And you, got, you had what was coming to you, Stephen. Come on. You've got to be smarter than that. PR, Stephen. Know how to communicate. What good did it do? Well, I'll show you what good it did. Let's look at the first couple of verses of Acts chapter 8. Oh, by the way, as he was being um, stoned, there was a man nearby, a young man. And people took their coats and they laid him at this young man's feet as they were stoning Stephen. And that young man was named Saul. And Acts chapter 8 starts with him in that first phrase. And Saul approved of their killing Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, and he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. For the first time, things got really uncomfortable for followers of Jesus. The pressure was really coming on. And what happened was a community that was becoming settled right there in Jerusalem, right in that holy city, right in that home place for the Jewish people, was suddenly pressured and persecuted in such a way that there was a dispersion. People moved out. They had to get out of town. They had to get out of town to be safe. It was no longer safe for them. Primarily, the leaders of the community stayed put, the apostles. Why, we don't know entirely, but undoubtedly somewhat, in God's plan, it was their responsibility to stay put. They were leaders, 
They were public enough that it wasn't so easy to get rid of them. And so they stayed, and, and probably some others as well. It says all, I, I, I think the phrase, uh, um, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And I think what that is, you know hyperbole? Uh, uh, an exaggeration that has truth. Sometimes we say all the people went to something, and we don't mean every single human being in the community. Or my whole family was there. Well, actually, my whole family wasn't there. There was, was my uncle and my aunt and my cousin. Okay. When we say all, sometimes we're just making a point that a lot, many, if not most, of the community had to scatter. But the apostles stayed put, and persecution came. Godly men buried Stephen, mourned for him. But Saul began to really put the pressure on to destroy the church, going from house to house. The early Christians went from house to house to share the good news. The early Christians went house to house to pray together and break bread together and grow together. But Saul went house to house to snuff it out. That was his plan. And he dragged off both men and women and he put them in prison. But I want you to notice something in these first couple of verses. Uh, First in In verse 1, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered. Scattered. You know what that word is? It's the same kind of word that Jesus uses when he tells a story about a farmer who was going out to sow seed and he scattered the seed. He he reached into his bag and he scattered that seed and it flew flew off and, and just went and covered an area of ground. And that's what happened to those Christians. They were scattered. They didn't go off to one place. They went to many places. Dispersion and multiple directions. And you know what happens then? Followers of Jesus who are alive to Jesus are suddenly in places they'd never been before encountering people they'd never encountered before. And that's so important. So significant. And where did they go? Uh, Let's look Here it is at the end of that first verse. Scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Do you remember something Jesus said right before his ascension to his followers? He said, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts, to the ends of the earth. But up until this point... They had been witnesses of Jesus only in Jerusalem and a little bit in Judea. And nothing was happening. But suddenly persecution came along and it made something happen. And God sometimes uses in our lives, in the experience of his people, difficult, hard things that in and of themselves are not great and not good. But God is always about redeeming and reclaiming tough situations or hard circumstances to bring something good out of it. Not just because he likes nice stories that end well, but he actually is able to use difficult times to do things in our lives that that would never otherwise happen. And that's what he did here. He wanted people to be witnesses all over the place to all different kinds of people, but it wasn't happening. They were stuck in Jerusalem just hanging out with Jews, and he wanted other people than Jews to meet Jesus. And so he made use of that persecution. And suddenly, they weren't just in Jerusalem. They were in Judea. And they weren't just in Judea, which was, again, primarily a Jewish setting, but they were also in Samaria, just like Jesus had said. I want to keep going here. Um, Pick it up with verse 4. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. 
Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in the city. I want you to think about something that's really key for our lives and for God's work in, in, in the world, out of the Christian community. I want you to think who stayed in Jerusalem. Who was it who stayed put? The apostles. The ultimate leaders, actually. And who was scattered? As far as we know, let me just give, give a, a, a two-word phrase. Ordinary people. Ordinary people headed out. They weren't ordained. They weren't trained. They, they, they were not homogenized. They were not pasteurized. They were not approved. They weren't even sent out by anybody. They were forced out by persecution. Just normal people who had normal jobs. And they went to different places. And God used people like them. People like Philip, who was something of a leader, but he had never gone to seminary, and he was not ordained in Jerusalem. And he was not about to go to Brazil for some intercultural experience in order to help him get his training. It wasn't, that wasn't even happening at all. Philip was just a guy on the road, suddenly on a different road. And God used him. And that's really what happens. I want you to see something that's really an unfortunate translation in some ways. Verse 4. Those who've been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And that word preached, what, what do you think of when you hear the word preached? What I'm doing. Thank you. Yeah, there it is. It's what I do. It's my job. It's what Neil does. It's what Josh does. It's what I do in this setting. It's what uh, maybe a couple of other people who have some kind of status or some kind of uh, recognition are able to do. Last Sunday, I was away. I was with my family. We were in uh, a distant place, cold, for what it's worth. Um, it's nice to be in the sunshine here in Michigan. Is it beautiful? It was really nice to welcome the Hickoxes back from a month in Florida and say, welcome back to sunny Michigan. Isn't it great? So a week ago where I was, it wasn't sunny. It was pretty cold. It was definitely winter. We went off to a church we'd been before. And when I got there, I'd only heard the pastor preach two times, the two times I'd been there before. I walked in, the pastor, like lots of pastors, wasn't there the Sunday after Christmas, but someone from the congregation was preaching, and he wasn't a pastor. He's a carpenter, and a guy who is a facilities manager for a Christian camp. But what he does is he takes care of buildings, building them, rehabbing them, taking off old roofs, putting on new roofs. That's his work. But he got up on Sunday morning, and do you know what? It was one of the best sermons I've heard in a long time. It was fantastic. Just a reminder that God's people can communicate. But what I really don't like about this translation here is this. It doesn't really say preached the word. That's not really what it says. It was, he, he was evangelizing, he was sharing the good news. And I want you to know that God calls every single one of us to be the kind of people who, who share good news. We may not be preachers, and we may never preach, but we are communicators. Kenneth Scott Latourette was a late professor, meaning he died a long time ago, uh, but he was a long-time professor at Yale University. And he wrote mammoth histories, not just of Christianity, but of the expansion of Christianity. And in the first volume of that particular work, he, he said this, 
that the chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who make it a profession, but men and women who carried on their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those they met in this natural fashion. Listen to that one more time. The chief agents in the expansion of, the, of Christianity, in the, in the sharing of the good news and its spreading out from Jerusalem, appear not to have been those who made it a profession, but men and women who carried on their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those they met in natural fashion. And Philip was one of these. Now Philip appears to be one of those unordained, unseminary trained people who also preach. So look at those words again. Verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. He proclaimed, he got up, he, he gathered a group and they heard him speak. And what was so different about Samaritans was that they, were, they had some kind of Jewish ancestry and Jewish history and Jewish connection with the story, but they had made things so impure and they were simply not connected with Jerusalem and not connected with the temple. And they had not grabbed a hold of the whole of God's word. And so Jews looked down on them. There was a huge barrier. We remember some of those stories from Jesus' time. Jesus went through Samaria, but that was a controversy that he even did. And now Philip goes there. Nobody had thought of it until this time. But Philip goes to Samaria, and he goes there to talk to Samaritans. And do you know what happens? They listen to him. They weren't exactly anticipating the Messiah, but they anticipated one who was going to come that Moses had promised. And so as Philip started talking about Jesus, he talked about him in such a way as to help them understand that what Moses had promised long ago, Jesus was fulfilling. And they listened, and many of them started to say yes. And as they experienced challenges in their own lives, they were coming to Philip, and under the name of Jesus, they were experiencing healing and response. Um, Verse uh, 12 uh, puts it like this. They believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And they were baptized, both men and women. This is a really key moment. Uh, None of us would be here without moments like this, or maybe none of us, most of us wouldn't be here without moments like this, because what was the good news of Jesus was breaking out of just a Jewish experience, and it was progressively becoming, it was crossing various boundaries and barriers, and engaging with new people, Samaritans, saying yes. But that's not the end of it, because Philip was all about that kind of work, and God's Spirit was also all about that kind of work. So I want you to go down to verse uh, 26, and I want you to look at this little story. We're going to read it together quickly. Um, It goes like this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? Well, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. 
Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I want you to see something about Philip here. Again, he's not in some kind of ministerial role. It's not Sunday morning. There were no Sunday mornings like this. There were no church buildings. There were no um, orders of worship like like we hand out. There, There was no projection. There was no band. There was none of this stuff. And so when they gathered for worship, it was usually in homes, what have you. But now Philip isn't even in any kind of church setting at all. God has asked him to go to a very different place, to travel a distance down to Gaza. Many, many miles away, probably by foot. It was not a simple thing. And he went, and he encountered a man, once again, someone nobody thought would ever have a place in God's plan or purpose. But Philip saw him. Philip heard the word of the Spirit in his heart, and Philip obeyed. Something beautiful happened. But I want you to see what it's a picture of. It's not a preaching time. It's not a whole bunch of people gathered together. It's one person talking with one person. And I just, for a few moments, want you to see the practicalities of how what Philip does is a picture of what, in our lives, we can do too. And it begins with this, that, that we pay attention to what God says to us. A couple months ago, we were talking about neighboring and I don't know if you remember this, but I came here one Sunday after, a week after I was saying, I want you to meet your neighbors and get to know people and what have you. And um, I'd been in a Panera. I'd been working there for a while. I was, I was look, actually, I don't have a watch. I was looking at my phone. It was time to go. And uh, so I was getting up to leave, and, and a man had sat down next to me. And he was there alone. I thought he was a little too close in my personal space, but... but but it, it, it really wasn't legally problematic. I mean, he, he, was, he was a little ways away, but I would have chosen the table over there, you know. And I, I felt in my spirit that God was saying to me, talk to this guy. And do you know what I did? Again and again, very quickly, I said, no. I just, thanks, but no thanks, Lord. I actually got up and I walked out. And I knew that God was telling me, say hi to him. And I totally disobeyed him. But later that week, actually it was, on my, it was on my mind all week long, and I was at that Panera several times in the course of the next week, and I would look every time, and he was gone. I felt like, oh Lord, you're not even going to let me stew in this for my, the rest of my life. But like a week later, he walks in, and I walked right up to him. I said, man, I've been looking for you all week long. I saw you last week, and... I don't even remember if I told him that God told me to talk to you. I, I probably didn't say that. But, but I said, you know, it just was, I just felt like I should say hi to you. So I'm glad to have that opportunity. Can I use your hand? I, my name's Craig. His name is Jim. And uh, Jim and I continue to connect right there. Um, here's the thing. God speaks to us. 
And when he speaks to us, we need to listen to him. But we may even need to do something else. We may need to ask God a question. Lord, is there something you want to do in my life and through me today? To start our days like that. Lord, help me to have my eyes open. Help me have my ears open. Help me to understand if there's something I'm supposed to do, if there's someone I'm supposed to see, if there's someone I'm supposed to reach out to, if there's someone I'm supposed to meet, if there's someone I'm supposed to sit down and listen to. Because that's what the Spirit of God did through an angel, through a messenger, through Philip, when he sent him to a place. He didn't know what was going to happen there. He didn't know about the person, but he got there and he saw someone. And in his spirit again, he knew, God, this is the one. And so he went up to a man, and he just looked at him, and he heard him before he, he talked to him. You know what people did? We don't do it very much in our day and age. I do, actually, I do it at Panera a little bit, really quietly sometimes, but uh, most of us don't read out loud. Okay, that, that keeps people away, actually. If I'm in Panera and I'm reading out loud, then I get a little more space. Okay? <laughs> this guy's weird. <laughs> but... But back in the day, 2,000 years ago, that's the way people read. They didn't read silently. It actually was a little difficult. Literally, the way the language was laid out, they actually needed to read aloud frequently to, to get the words right. And so, as Philip went up, he heard him reading, and he approached him. And he just paid attention. And he asked him um, a question. Do you understand what you're reading? I think Philip heard a little bit of what he was reading. He recognized it as the Bible. What a great opportunity. And the guy said, how can I possibly know if someone doesn't explain to me? And he welcomed him up into that place, and they spent some moments talking. And Philip took that portion of God's word. Somehow that man from Jerusalem had gotten a scroll, and there was words from Isaiah the prophet, what we call Isaiah 53. Very confusing passage. People had not understood it for a long time, but Philip understood it. Do you know why? Because the key to understanding Isaiah 53 is Jesus Christ. If you take Jesus out, it's profoundly confusing. But if you put Jesus in to those words, it opens up their meaning and it's profound. So the man knew nothing about Jesus, but Philip told him about Jesus. And suddenly that understanding was clear. And they talked a little bit more. We don't know what was said, but they talked about enough stuff so that when the man saw water, he said, look, there's water. Can I get baptized? Here's the things I want you to think about. Number one, ask God to speak to you and seek to be a person who responds. Number two, listen to people and allow them to ask you questions and ask them questions. And don't enter into a debate. Don't arm wrestle them philosophically or theologically. Just talk and seek to understand what's going on. And there will be times when the questions are obvious and move somewhere. And there'll be other times when it's not like that. But when you ask what what a man named Jerry calls public questions, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? Jerry Root calls those public questions. When you ask public questions, people engage in conversation. And you literally don't know where that conversation might go. Don't dig in too much, but ask safe questions that make possibility to open up conversation and see what God will do. 
But here's the thing most of all I want you to think about. This man is an Ethiopian eunuch. He represents already, only in Acts chapter 8, the ends of the earth. Do you know why? Because where he was from was a long way away. It was at the ends of the earth for people who lived in Jerusalem. It was at the ends of the earth for people whose life was centered in Rome. Ethiopia at that time was today what we would call Sudan. This man was a black man. We have no doubt He was profoundly different from a different world in a different place in a different culture than Philip or the people in Jerusalem. And while the step that was taking place when the two of them sat down together and talked was amazing. Here's something else though. He was a eunuch. In the book of Deuteronomy says that a eunuch is someone who has no place in the temple of God. No place among the worship of God's people. Not a complete person. That's how it was viewed. And yet there was a word that was found in Isaiah chapter 56 that goes like this. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, these I will bring to my holy mountain and bring them joy in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This eunuch had gone to Jerusalem. He was fascinated by the God of Israel. He was interested in what these people had, these Jews, in their faith and what they saw, what he saw that was attractive and beautiful and wondrous in their faith and in their culture and in their morals. He was interested, but he couldn't be welcomed. He didn't belong. But Philip sat down next to him, and Philip saw that in Jesus Christ, you and I will never, ever in our lives meet somebody who is not welcome to receive Jesus and to trust Jesus and to follow Jesus. There is nobody on earth. There is nothing in their ethnic makeup or their racial makeup. There's nothing in their cultural background. There's nothing in the story of their own lives. However beautiful, impressive, or ugly, it might be because Jesus Christ came to the earth to this earth for every single person and that wasn't understood yet and sometimes we struggle to understand that but Philip said lord if you want me to go to a different place and you want me to share Jesus with this man who is disqualified on every count from anything i've ever experienced before lord thank you i will do it and that's what he did We're going to sit at the table right now. The table is both a table for believers, but it is the story of what everyone's invited to. Everett Harrison was a New Testament scholar from a previous generation. He talked about these these early believers who were scattered and spread out. And they were forced out because of persecution. He said they didn't go out as refugees. They went out as missionaries. It was how they saw them themselves.